Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 62. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis. I'm a professor of physics and associate dean for research. Hi, my name is Lucy Zhang. I am a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, my name is Pani Anuol. I'm also a professor of mechanical engineering. In today's interconnected world, the pursuit of knowledge knows no boundaries. Universities and academic institutions are increasingly recognizing the value of global perspectives and cross-cultural experiences in education. As a result, many faculty members are seizing the opportunity to teach abroad, whether it's through international partnership, exchange programs, or overseas assignments. Today, we are honored to have Professor Michael Perch, a professor of engineering at the University of Texas, Austin. Michael is an expert in spatial data analytics, geostatistical reservoir modeling, and machine or statistical learning. And he's going to share about his experience teaching abroad this past summer. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So can you start by briefly introducing yourself and your background and what inspired you to teach abroad? Well, I am a first-generation university student. Education dramatically changed my life. And I went all the way through, got a PhD in engineering, geology, ended up working in industry for a few years. And at some point, academia called me back. And I'm just so excited to pay it forward. I'm so excited to share education with others. And so as a new professor, only the last six years, I just say yes to everything. I want to check everything out. It, it came down to this. When I was a young farmhand working on a, a German farm, and there was OPA. And every time OPA would say, do something, I'd say, OPA, I've never done that before. And OPA would look at me and say, well, it's about time you learned how. And so I take that attitude, I might as well learn how, I might as well try things out. And so when Professor Perdonovich, who really, really was the primary on this trip organizing it, came to me and said, would you like to come to Croatia with me? I just said, well, I haven't done that yet. It's about time I find out. I might as well get that experience. So I was excited to try it out. I love that. That is like my dream life and attitude. Just take it as it comes. <laughs> So what about your initial expectations before going there? Like, did you have any? How did it compare to reality once you get there? I'm a professor. I've got a large research group of about 14, 15 graduate students, mostly PhDs. I teach lots of courses, but I tend to have a, a bit of a wall. Like I have, I'm very busy reviewing my students' work, but my weekends, my time off, I don't know how best to say it, but I basically, I, I don't go to a lot of the events like tailgates and so forth. So I have a bit of a social wall when it comes to with the students. So I, I let Dr. Perdonovich know that. I said, hey, listen, I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to participate in the activities, but I'm going to be, you know, having my own personal time. I showed up in country. And we had one day to kind of recover from jet lag. I'm immediately hiking up the mountain and Dubrovnik with like a group of students. That afternoon, I'm kayaking in the Adriatic Sea with a group of students. And I think that's the way it went the whole time. As soon as we show up in a place, it's like there's an adventure. 
I put out the message on, we were using some type of messaging app and I put out the message said, who's going up the mountain? Who's going to the sea? Who's going swimming? Who's doing this? I, I jumped into it. I, and that surprised me. I thought I was going to be a little standoffish, but when I got in country, I was like, this is such a great way to like have so many great experiences and, and to share it with the students. I really loved it. Thank you for sharing that. That was great. And I'm similar to Lucy. I wish I can just embrace experiences like that. <laughs> Based on your experiences while you were abroad, can you describe a memorable classroom experience or one that was particularly impactful for you or the students or both? So the interesting thing about study abroad is that it's a smaller group. And you spend a lot of time together in the activities, but also in the classroom. And you don't get that with your usual undergraduate teaching experience. And so what was incredible was we were doing coding. I could immediately hear back from students who were struggling with some of the aspects of coding. When I was teaching Bayesian statistics, I was hearing from students that I'm a little, I'm challenged. I don't quite understand what updating with Bayesian statistics really means. What's Bayesian probability? And so what happened, you combine that with the fact that I had kind of away time. Like I was away from my graduate student team. I was away from kind of a lot of things, my home and my hobbies at home. I could go back to my apartment and I coded things up. I, I coded up new demonstrations of Bayesian. Actually, one of them I'm super proud of. I automated Bayesian updating, all of the equations, all of the displays. And now the students can play with the prior. Those uh, Shout out to the Bayesian statisticians in the audience. You're going to totally respect this. You can play with the prior, pay, play with the likelihood term, and immediately see kind of how they balance affect each other. And I put that in a really nice practical problem. And the next day in class, because we have kind of more flexibility, more time, we just played with that. Everybody just opened it up and we start to ask questions. And, and that was a lot of fun seeing the light bulbs go off. And once again, it's a small class. You can see it. You really. So that was to me, that opportunity to be very focused with a small group over a long period of time and have consistency continuity was very powerful. So you just shared with us a good positive part of your teaching abroad. Uh, how about challenges? I'm sure that life was not all good. There were some challenges too, especially teaching in a totally different country. So can you talk to us about those challenges and how you overcome some of them? We were fortunate that Croatia is a beautiful country. And, and when I say beautiful, what I mean is that if anybody out there watched Game of Thrones, we're right beside King's Landing. I was living halfway up the mountain, uh, Seder, looking down on King's Landing. And many of the students were in a, a monastery, effectively, like a, a, a home, just right beside King's Landing. Okay, so it was peaceful. It was beautiful. Um, it was the type of place you could go swimming in the Adriatic Sea, leave your, your stuff on the beach and come back. It's still there. So things like petty crime are extremely low there. It's very rare. The rates are very low. So there was all of those aspects. But guess what that is? Distracting. 
it's, it's very distracting for students when you're teaching them and they know that that right after class, they can just run off and jump, jump in the Adriatic Sea. We're teaching Friday and they're going to jump on a boat trip and go explore a bunch of islands. There's many islands around there. There's all kinds of beautiful things to see. We have students who went, okay, on the weekend, I'm just going to Bosnia. We had students who just took a quick trip to Greece while they're with us in Croatia. So th that's a bit distracting. And what I found was that sometimes it was more of an educational uh, teaching challenge to keep focus, you know, because all of those adventures are right outside the window as you're teaching. That I'd say that was one of the challenges to try to keep everybody engaged. Sometimes you could see it. Sometimes you'd be teaching Monday morning. You'd be like, okay, how many of you are jet lagged? Not jet lagged, but just exhausted from the fact you just got off a long bus trip or something. You could see it. I just follow up in terms of uh, just put a, a context around it. How long were you there? And would that matter with the students' focus? And that's a really good question. We decided to teach with Dr. Perdonovich here two separate courses. And the time, the total time in country was six weeks. So it was, it was on the long side. We did two separate locations. We started three weeks in Dubrovnik. And apologies to Croatians out there. I'm sure I still don't pronounce it perfectly. And then Zagreb for the uh, remaining three weeks. We had a trip in between where we got to go out to like uh, to see the coast, to go up to the north, to travel around, see some national parks. So we did get to see some of the country too in the middle of that. We got to go to the former summer home of the President Tito, who was the president during the Cold War and after World War II, which was really amazing getting to learn about him and so forth. So, so we had a chance to kind of mix it up. I think that helped changing locations. Well, I don't want even want to be in classroom then. <laughs> Bother. <laughs> All right. So the next question is, um, how did this experience impact your personal or professional growth? Had it changed you in any yeah. way? Yeah. I've had six years in academia. I'm going to just say it. I just got promoted to full professor this September. So, hey, thank you. Thank you. And I, I know academics, professors, you understand what that means and what we go through to do that. And so this was kind of a capstone right at the end there. I'd known I was being promoted. And, and so it was a chance for a psychologically, mentally, to knock me out of an ultra-focused perspective of get those papers published, get those students through channel, channel kind of productivity. If I'm talking about reinforcement learning, it's a question of exploration versus exploitation, if you're familiar with this concept of learning. And so I was very focused on exploitation. Got to be productive, productive, productive. This was a chance for me to psychologically walk away, kind of get out of not a rut, but perhaps a local minimum. And to kind of think, rethink kind of like, what am I doing? I get a little distance. Maybe some of my students got a little more independence with me away. I was still available, but I was a little bit away. Okay, now personal journeys. I've been so focused on school, maybe I should have a little fun. And so I'll tell you one thing I did, which I think is hilarious, is I was um, in country in Zagreb. And I found out that um, a Viking metal band was coming to country, to Zagreb. And I hope you all understand that, you know, metal, imagine heavy metal music. 
now imagine Viking heavy metal music. Okay. So I heard that was coming to town. So I kept telling the students, I was like, everybody know that Amana Marth is coming to town, Viking metal. And everybody's looking at me like, what crazy, like, what are you talking about? So I went by myself to the Viking metal concert and I got to get down on the ground and put my back into the oar while everybody in the audience did. And I'll, I'll tell you, it was just like the whole time, you know, the screaming and all that. And the whole time I was in, in Croatia, I kept asking, how do people know I'm a foreigner? And everybody said, it's because your hair. I was literally like the only long haired person I ever, uh, you know, dude there in country I ever ran into. I'll tell you what, in that concert, it was literally the, the long haired dude meetup for like everybody. I think everybody, all the dudes were like, I had some of the shortest hair on any of the men there. In fact, many of the men were wearing like armor. There was a guy with like a whole bear hat, you know, kind of thing, the bear skull kind of, and all that. Everybody was, so it was a lot of fun. And so personally, that was a reminder that I like heavy metal music and Viking metal is just amazing. And just a chance to really cut loose and just really kind of like, have fun. And then to show up the next day wearing the concert shirt and, and having the students kind of joke and laugh about it, just showing that kind of fun side of myself to the students, I think was really kind. It was delightful. So when I think about studying abroad, I typically think about research abroad, not necessarily teaching. So I'm already planning for a sabbatical and I'm thinking about where I would go outside of the country, but I never thought about teaching. I'm like, okay, which place can I go that has very strong physics department, et cetera, you know, strong physics research. I never thought about teaching. So can you share some tips, advice about opportunities to teach abroad or just teaching abroad for the first time? So convince me I should, when I go on my sabbatical, I should do research and try to teach some classes. <laughs> uh, hey, Maybe they don't both go together, but. <laughs> that's that's awesome, Kim. I really do appreciate that. Uh, a couple of points I'll make is the first point, if I can convince you or help you move off the fence, would be that that focused time with the students and teaching a small group. If you think about it, we're getting back to our roots. That's the original tradition, the guild. Imagine the guild. It was more of a close mentorship type of experience. Imagine going back to you know ancient Greece, like the way you would have taught a group. It wouldn't have been a massive lecture hall. It would have been that kind of constant level of, of working together, exploring, traveling, seeing things together. And so I think it gets us back as educators, back to our roots of where we began. And I, I think it's magic. I think there's something we lost when we got to the big lecture halls. Okay, now I'm going to say something else. You want to know about how to pick a location. And I'm going to make some, I'm going to be very opinionated here. I hope I don't get in trouble. Okay, when I was a younger man, I spent two years in the, what they call squatter camps, like rapid urban developments of East Africa and Dar es Salaam. I had malaria three times. I learned Swahili. I, I grew up a lot. I had amazing experiences. I remember my I remember my grandfather who'd fought in World War II in North Africa. And he said to me, he said, Michael, I'm so proud of you. And I'm over, all, a bit envious because while I fought war in such an experience, you got to have that experience while volunteering and helping people. 
And he said how amazing it was that I had that experience. And so part of it is also this experience of going somewhere and facing intense challenges. And I think, I think Croatia was really interesting because it had unique challenges. Like our students didn't have air conditioning in their dorms. You know, we had AV systems that didn't work. It is not in Europe. It's definitely not one of the more uh, wealthy countries. And so we got to kind of experience some of those uh, forms of adversity that we may not face in America. I think that is a good thing to experience. It's a good thing for students to experience and to share that with them. Um, I hope that's not controversial to say. No, I was going to follow up and say, I thought you were going to say, immerse yourself in a country where the language is not your first language. So when I was thinking about study abroad for research, I was thinking about going to a country where they spoke Spanish or it was just a completely different language. And that's going to already be scary for me. I'm trying to talk physics in a different language. But that's what I thought you were going to say. But do you have any thoughts around possibly teaching your in your expertise in a different language? Do you think that's too much of a challenge? Kim, thank you for that question. I have personal experience with that because when I was in Tanzania, um, I did a lot of teaching in Swahili. And so nothing like immersion, nothing like the need to teach. We learn more when we teach than when we're students, right? Teaching teaches us, the teacher, much. And so that is big ass, though. That's a big challenge. I spent two years in Tanzania and it wasn't probably until about the second, third month that I had basic conversation capabilities and maybe six months in that I could kind of do most things I needed to do, but still get stuck sometimes. And so it's very hard to do during six weeks, I would say. Now, I also have a unique uh, perspective here because I am Ukrainian Canadian. And so this is my first Slavic experience. Uh, I come from the Ukrainian community in Alberta. But I'm actually in a Ukrainian language class right now. I'm a student again for the very first time in 20 years. I'm taking a class on campus. And I got to tell you, uh, having some Ukrainian and working Ukrainian and then trying to pick up some Croatian, which is also Slavic language, the overlap is not that much and it gets very confusing. It's very hard to manage. So, Kim, I like your ambition. I really respect it. But boy, that would be a huge challenge. Um, but I'll tell you what, ask me next year, because my goal is to actually go teach in Ukraine. So that's why I'm doing Ukrainian language training right now. So can we meet again next year and you can ask me how it's going? Absolutely. <laughs> so, Michael, that was so lovely that you talked uh, to us about the challenges and, and then also talking about the future challenge that you are going to face in next summer uh, that we will definitely bring you back on to see how that goes. But regarding those challenges, one of the issues is cultural sensitivities. So how was your experience and how did you manage to navigate those cultural differences? And we have an ex excellent example of that. Of course, Croatia, uh, was the center of one of the uh, worst conflicts in Europe since World War II. The Homeland War was fought for Croatian independence. Where we were in Dubrovnik, the old city has a map where you can see the amount of shelling, which was incredible. Many locations, many of the roofs in the old city had to be replaced because they were shelled. There were fires all over the place. 
Now, you have to remember that Croatians very much love their country and they love those structures. And so there was there was sensitivity around the war. And so we learned very quickly that if you ask questions, if you want to learn, listen. Don't be opinionated about it. Just listen and hear from them. Don't come there with, you know, in our naivety, come there and start offering our observations because we can't understand. I think that's one way to see it. Um, the other thing we did, and this is very interesting, is that there was at the top of the mountain above where I was staying in Dubrovnik, a fort. And that fort, they have an excellent museum to the war. And the fact that our hosts knew that we spent time there, that we went there to learn and to see what had happened, people respected that. They they liked that we wanted to learn about these you know aspects of it. Yeah. And so I think that was a good example of kind of learning about cultural sensitivities and how to navigate. Now, can I give you another one, but a fun one? I, I, I'm a, oh, a yeah. very, pos- yeah, very yeah, positive yeah. one person. We went to some amazing events. And one of the events was we went to um, out of town to an, a small village. And they had a beautiful traditional meal. It was the way they slow roast these incredible meats. Oh, Croatia and their meats and their barbecues, right? And the potatoes were like, just like candy. And they were feeding us this delicious food. Well, then they broke out the accordion. And so the accordion came out and the traditional folk songs came out. And all of the Croatian students and all the Croatians stood up. And they're raising their glasses and they're toasting each other. And they're swaying back and forth and they're dancing a bit and they're singing the lyrics. And so we're sitting at the table and I'm at a table full of students. And everybody's kind of not sure what to do. We're kind of like the people who don't know how to dance at the dance. And so what I did was I just stood up at the table. I said, I'm not going to sit. I stood up at the table. And when someone rose their glass towards me to salute me, I did it back. And there was just this amazing kind of warmth and welcome and appreciation. So next thing I knew, I just joined right in with them. And I looked back and all the students were getting up and doing the same thing. And they were joining in. Before I know it, I was dancing on the tables. It was pretty fun. I was dancing on a table and there was a Croatian professor who had his arm around me. And all the time he kept shouting in my ear because the songs were all in Croatian. He's shouting. It's like, we're singing about the person we love. We're singing about our land. We're singing about our mothers again. And so it was so cool. He was like basically translating as the songs were being sung. He was yelling in my ear, telling me, I think the the people there really respected the fact that we enjoyed their culture. We enjoyed their celebration, the way that they party together. And and I think that was really nice. Nice. So I can think back when I went to Japan for, I think, two weeks, and it was uh, to do give research talks on uh, my area of research. And we visited so many places, Osaka, Kyoto, just so many places. And at each place, we we gave research academic talks. And I remember when I got back to the U.S., my perspective had changed about a lot of things, about how we engage each other, privacy, like so many things that was just boom, right in my face, that was drastically different from being 
in North America. So I wanted to know what impact do you believe teaching abroad has on students and their global perspectives? There were many students in the group who had never been outside of America. This was their first time. And many students had been out of America on a family vacation. Having spent that time in Tanzania, I don't know if you go to like Tanzania to resort or some type of family vacation there that you really are experiencing the culture and the community. But now we took our students and we we put them in a monastery. Like they had so many funny experiences. One of the students told us that they had a jump scare. A group of them had a jump scare. And they said, why? And they said, because in the monastery, sometime at night, the nuns just appear. Nuns just like they have jump nun scares. And they said, I don't know why, but the nuns seem to move faster in the dark. <laughs> so, <they're> like, <laughs> was, so, so it was kind of funny, like students telling stories about like the nuns were amazing. They were so kind to our students, but they still had these kind of jump scares of nuns. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But but they really were immersed in the culture. There was no wall there. They were living in a monastery with monks. And the nuns, I don't I think most of them didn't speak English. So they're trying to figure out a way to communicate with them, which was a really interesting challenge. They had to use public transportation on their own. They had to navigate on all of their adventures. Like how much of an experience that is to go to a new place and try to get by. There were people in some of the, some of the areas, specifically when we got into Zagreb, we did encounter uh, quite a few people who didn't speak English. And so you had to find a way to communicate. And so you need to learn some basic words to ask for things and to show manners. So I think all of these experiences are really good experiences for our students. So, Michael, did you have the opportunity to travel and explore the country while teaching abroad? And if so, did you have any favorite places or travel stories that you'd like to share? All right. And Kim, thank you very much for that question. Now, I could tell you about Dubrovnik. I could tell you about Zagreb. I could tell you about the car structures we saw in the National Park, which is probably the best I've ever seen in the world. But I'm not going to tell you about that. I'm going to tell you about the time that we were in Pula, right on the coast of Croatia. And we were busy. We were visiting a, uh, an industrial site so the students could learn about energy in the country and so forth. But we got back to our hotel rooms and everybody said, OK, we're going to meet for dinner. You know what I did? I disappeared. I just took I, that just that one evening. I ran off by myself and I went to the Pula Coliseum. It's one of the best preserved, most complete Roman Colosseums. It was constructed over a period, I think, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was something like about 60 BC to something 20 AD, you know, AD. It took a long time to build. And so what was amazing was I showed up there just as it was starting to get dark. And so there was almost no one there. So I got to walk around by myself and just be surrounded by this Colosseum. Now, you got to remember, I grew up in Leduc, Alberta. I'm, I was a farm kid. I've never been around like super old architecture like that. And so I was just sitting there. It was like kind of haunting, like really to me, spiritual. 
to be surrounded by those old stones and kind of being a geologist. I like talking to the rock. I like kind of like being in touch with the rock and, and thinking about those who designed the rock. And I was sitting there just admiring everything. And then suddenly I realized, oh my goodness, back in America time, I have to attend a conference call. So I'm sitting there under one of these arches by myself and I joined into a conference call with a bunch of faculty back in UT Austin. And I'm like, oh, by the way, look at this. And it's like this Roman Colosseum all around me. I'm just showing them around. And I, I just thought it was so cool. Just having a little bit of alone time there and just thinking about the time, thinking about all those rocks had seen that all that had occurred at those locations. It was just really amazing. So with all that fun, anything in the horizon for you? Any new projects, new, new initiative yeah. that's related to international travels or education that you could be or you're currently involved in? Great question, Lucy. I appreciate that. Currently, I teach remotely in Ukraine every week. And so I'm volunteering in Ukraine to support uh, education because I... You know, I am Ukrainian Canadian and I want to help them as much as I can. And so I'm doing that. I'm learning Ukrainian right now so that I can prepare for a trip to Ukraine. Uh, I hope to be there next fall to visit and work at universities to assist with education. Um, I've been I've been participating and helping with local conferences, uh, teach the teacher type events, specifically around my discipline in data science. I think it's an awesome opportunity because with my field of geostatistics, spatial data analytics, we can help support the, the best development of local resources to help for a prosperous, free Ukraine in the future. So that's my next goal as far as international travel. You make me feel very small. <laughs> well, all, I, all I can say is Slava Ukraini. Before we wrap up, what message or advice would you like to leave with educators who aspire to teach abroad and broaden their horizons? Well, first of all, I have 13 years of experience in industry and I've only been an academic for six years. So the first thing I say is um, I salute you. Your job is hard. Holy cow, I had no idea. We work seven days a week all the time. We have so many things we do. We are standing in the face of a tidal wave of need. And we rise to the challenge. We do because we love what we do. And, and so I salute you for your dedication, educators. I know what we're doing now. Here's the thing. Given all of that, embrace the unique opportunities that you have. Because they truly are unique. There's no other, there's no other role that we could have where they'd be like, go to this other country, teach, support, assist the students and so forth. And so what I'll say is this, you can be like me. I was in fact skeptical. I'll tell you what, I didn't try to back out, but I definitely did feel like, what am I doing? Because I have so many graduate students, I have a consortium, so many things I'm doing, it made no sense to walk away for six weeks. I didn't need summer pay, but I'll tell you what, I'm so glad I did. It was such a unique challenge. So, so what I say is this, look at this unique opportunity and realize that there's going to be so many benefits in it for you. So just go experience it. Thank you so much. What a great way to conclude. And I hope that all our faculty members who are among our audiences, they are now inspired by your incredible journey and they are going to start their own.
I got to say one last parting thing, Lucy, Kim, Anya, thank you so much for this opportunity. And thanks for what you're doing, getting the word out. I know you're all busy faculty, professors, and thank you for what you're doing to support education. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can follow us on Facebook and listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Music. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life. <laughs>